We have Good and Gather. We launched that business, and it's a $3 billion business. It's thousands of SKUs. Its awareness level is 35%. Can you imagine if the awareness level was 70%? It could be a $6 billion business. Um, you know, that, those things get me really, really excited. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Rick Gomez is EVP and Chief Food and Beverage Officer for Target. He has helped the brand completely reposition itself from a retailer that happens to have some food and groceries to a full-blown grocery retailer. We all have seen that transition, right? I know that I personally love Target's private label products. That's why we wanted to dig into this strategy and really understand what drives the moves, what drives the product development, even the marketing for Target's food and beverage business. That's why we were thrilled to have Rick as part of the 2022 Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. He sat down with Lisa Amlani, who is a full-blown product development and merchandising whiz, and they really got into business. But not just business, the love and heritage that comes with food. For today's episode, we're going to replay this conversation so you can get a little taste of Rick's expertise and most of all, his passion for the work. Listen in, and if you are so inclined, feel free to learn more about all of the incredible work Rick has done by checking out the show notes. He was one of our Retail Innovator Award winners for 2022, and the awards report really digs into some of the incredible initiatives he has led, how he positions himself as a leader, and most of all, the impact he has helped create for the target business. Listen in and enjoy. What is the role of Target um, groceries at Target, and how does that tie into Target? Target. Yeah, I think um, the role of food and beverage at Target has changed and it continues to change. And I think um, to understand that, you kind of have to go back to a little bit of the history. We have not always been in the grocery business. In fact, we've only been in the grocery business for a little over 15 years. We started as a general merchandiser, apparel, home, electronics, toys, uh, and then made the decision to get into the grocery business. And we were in the business and we came to a conclusion a few years ago that we really needed to, to, to make it more special. And we needed to make some changes to how we thought about running a grocery business, which is really different than General Merch. So we made a decision to invest in talent and people, and we hired a bunch of food and beverage coordinators and directors, I'm looking at you, Amy, who have a lot of grocery experience uh, across the country. We made investments to really become an omni-channel retailer. Uh, making investments in our supply chain and making investments in our digital experience. And we launched Good and Gather. And we had momentum. And the business was doing well. And then the pandemic hit. And I give a lot of credit to the team. When the pandemic hit, you know, one of two things could have happened. We could have said, wow, we just had all, all this momentum and we're going to lose it now because we're dealing with a pandemic and it's going to push us back years. But instead, the team really saw it as a catalyst they saw the pandemic as our guests need us now more than ever, and we're gonna double down. 
So what we did is we doubled down on our digital. Um, we were doing drive up and uh, order online, pick up in store, but we weren't doing it nationally for fresh or for frozen. The team, in a matter of months, launched that nationally. I mean, just think about that, being able to have freezers nationally in 1,800 stores across the country because our guests needed a safe way to get their groceries. Uh, we said, you know, we're going to lean into own brands during the pandemic. We not only launched hundreds of items in Good & Gather, but the team created Favorite Day in their homes during a pandemic using their dining room table as a uh, tasting, uh, as a as their tasting lab. And we launched Favorite Day, a decadent, delicious, uh, awesome uh, own brand. So through the pandemic, it really became an acceleration for us. And what we saw was during the, the pandemic in 2020, we grew double digits. In 2021, we do double digits on top of that. And certainly the grocery industry benefited a little bit from the pandemic because people were not eating in restaurants. But I'll tell you, we had outsized growth. Since the pandemic, we gained $3 billion in market share. And I think even more important than that, we built the trust with our guests, that they could count on us for their essentials, for their food and beverage, and get it in an easy and safe environment. Um, so the pandemic uh, changed a lot for us. So let's talk a little bit about that shopping journey. How did some of those insights and learnings drive some of the decisions that you made during the pandemic, um, you know, working at our kitchen tables? How did, how did that work for you and your teams? Yeah. Um, for us at Target, our guest is at the center of everything we do. And we do refer to our, our customer, our consumer as a guest. And that's very intentional. And we refer to it as a guest because we see ourselves as a host. And we want to create a welcoming, inviting environment where everyone feels uh, accepted and feel like, feels like they belong. And so our guest is at the center of everything we do. Um, and we're often doing quantitative, qualitative research to better understand, be more empathetic with our guest. And about a year ago, and I'm looking at you, Eric, because you helped with this, about a year ago, we said, um, we want to better understand what is the role of food and beverage post-pandemic? It's going to happen. What is that next chapter going to look like? And so we did some digital immersions, because uh, we weren't going into people's houses at that time. And we heard a lot of things, but one of the common themes that we heard was, does Target really love groceries? Groceries kind of seem like a bolt-on. Grocery kind of seems like an afterthought. And you know, I'll tell you, we were just coming off of $3 billion in market share gains, two years of double-digit growth. We thought we were killing it. And then to hear the guests say it feels like a bolt-on, well, that that sting, you know, that was a, that really hurt. And so we said, you know, we're going to use this as a as a, mo a motivation, a rallying cry, because what we're going to do is we're going to go from being not just a retailer that sells food, but we're going to be a retailer that celebrates food. And what does that mean to celebrate food? It means we're going to continue to launch own brands. We're going to continue to elevate our assortment. We're going to continue to lean into our same day services. Um, and we're going to continue to stand really proud for key holidays, like most recently Mother's Day, but Easter and Halloween and Christmas, where we really can shine. And so that's kind of the next chapter for us in Food & Bev, is going from just selling to actually celebrating food. I love that. Um, you know, obviously we talked about the pandemic a little bit and um, the great retail tech acceleration. 
How has Target used um, data and new digital tools to help innovate and get closer to the guest? Yeah, there, it's interesting because you're seeing this convergence of marketing, digital, technology, data. It's coming together. And it's coming together to be able to create more relevant, more customized, more personalized experiences and messaging. Um, and that's exactly what, how we're thinking about it at Target. And let me give you a kind of a macro example, and then I'll give you a more micro example. Um, on a macro level, we decided three years ago to launch Target Circle. It's our loyalty program. Um, and the reason for doing it wasn't to drive more sales. It was actually because we wanted to be able to build a better relationship with our guests. And to build a better relationship with our guests, we need to know more about them. Uh, we launched it three years ago, and within three years, we have over 100 million um, participants. It's one of the largest and fastest growing loyalty programs in the US, and we're now able to use that to customize messaging, um, messaging, promotions, services, to meet that individual's needs, whether they're a college student going back to school, or whether they're a new mom, or whether they just got married and they bought their first apartment. We can customize our messaging to them um, on a very macro level. And I would tell you, you know, I think we're just scratching the surface there. I think that's gonna be a huge opportunity for Target going forward, is to be able to deliver on this idea of personalization at scale. Um, and that's kind of at a macro level. I think at a micro level, we're constantly listening to our guests and what, what yeah. they need. And our guests are telling us that they're looking for easy, simple meal solutions. I mean, the food rut is real. And they're looking for something different. So we heard that, and we developed um, meal bags. Very simple idea. Five, six items in a bag with a recipe. It can be anything from... Uh, beef sliders to chicken enchiladas to turkey meatball spaghetti, but it's grab and go, less than 15 bucks. It's an easy, simple meal, and that's because our guests told us that's what they're looking for now. Yeah. As a former merchant, I'll tell you that loyalty was such a big driver for me when we were developing private label programs. So let's talk a little bit about Target's private label programs and the role of these private label programs um, aligning with non-target brands. Yeah. Um, I, I, let, I guess let's step back and talk about our assortment strategy. And the way we think about our assortment strategy, it's a three-legged stool. And one leg of that stool are the big national brands. They're the brands our guests love, they want, they come to target to get them. It's really important that we partner with those uh, national players, that we get their innovation, their new flavors, their new packaging, their new sublines, and we have that in our stores for our guests. Those national brands, critical. The second leg of the stool is our own brands, and our own brands play a really unique role, and what they do is twofold. They drive differentiation um, from our competitors. You can only get Good & Gather at Target. You can only get Favorite Day at Target. And it drives traffic. People will come to Target to get the, the Good & Gather product that their kids love. I do. Good. What do you get? Um, mostly the nuts. <laughs> Trail mix. Great Trail snacks. Mix. Great snacks. Good. Great snacks. And chocolate. Yep, very good, good. You're not alone, a lot of people buy those I've snacks. <laughs> um, but the, the own brands play a critical role in that. People yeah. come, it drives traffic. 
And then the third leg of the stool are these smaller, more emerging brands um, that we curate, that we bring to Target so that our guests can discover them. Many of them are um, BIPOC owned. Yes. Uh, we can talk more about that because oh, we're very passionate. That's next. We're very passionate <laughs> about that. Um, but they're, they're emerging brands. And our guests love to come to Target and discover, and discover new products, and discover new brands. So we think about our assortment strategy as this three-legged stool of big national brands, own brands, and then smaller emerging discovery brands, oftentimes BIPOC owned. So before I get into the next question, in April 2021, Target committed to spending $2 billion on black-owned business. Fast forward to today, tell us where you're tracking to meet that goal. And I know you just released something very exciting, so maybe this is their, well, this is their launch pad. Yeah, and, and what we said was um, uh, commitment reach is an, is an internal uh, committee organization that uh, we have put together to make some really bold committee commitments uh, to helping marginalized communities, particularly black communities. And what I would tell you is, it wasn't because of George Floyd's murder in our hometown, but that was a catalyst. We've been very focused on DE&I issues at Target for decades, um, but recently, given events, we've looked ourselves in the mirror and said, how can we make a difference? How can we help other uh, BIPOC-owned businesses? How can we help BIPOC communities. And as a retailer, one of the most obvious things that we can do is help nurture and develop and bring up these black entrepreneurs so that they someday can scale their business and get it on their shelves at Target. Um, we're really proud of, about our commitments that we've made. Like you said, we made a big investment, uh, $20 billion by 2025. We are right on track. Um, we are making investments across media, black-owned media companies, uh, black-owned agencies, creative agencies, and what I'm really excited about are uh, black-owned uh, food and beverage brands. And we've, and since the end, at the end of this year, we will have quadrupled the number of black-owned brands that we sell. And they're just some awesome, awesome stories. You know, I was in California two weeks ago and had the chance to meet the McBride sisters, uh, two African-American sisters who are very passionate about wine. They love wine. But they wanted to make it more accessible to people in their community. So they started a winery, McBride Sisters. They also have other brands, Black Girl Magic. Um, we've been partnering with them. We sell it. It does incredibly well. The product is awesome. The story behind it is incredible. And it's really resonating with our guests. So that's just one example of, of what we're doing. Um, but we're really proud of the commitments. and. You know, I would tell you, we're not just doing it because we want to be good corporate citizens. Yes, that's part of it. But this is what our guests want. Our guests are looking for us to diversify our assortment. They want us to stand behind these smaller brands um, and help them succeed. So that actually leads me to the next question on, you know, you're listening to your community and your guests to increase uh, that representation of BIPOC brands and, of course, partners. So how does you know, this listening to the community and the guests shape your assortment decisions, uh, what you put into your product mix? I mean, it has huge impact, right? I mean, we, um, we spend a lot of time in, uh, out in the market talking to guests, uh, listening to what they're interested in, uh, looking at the competition. In fact, right after this, we're headed to New York to kind of do that same thing. Um, we are, like I said, very guest-centric, and we, um, 
listen to what our guest wants, and we try things, and we iterate, and we curate. Um, you know, we often say we're not a catalog of everything. When you go to our site, um, that's not our business model. What we are is we curate. And when we sell something at Target in our stores or online, it's because we believe in it. We believe in the quality. We believe in the brand. We believe in the story behind it. Um, and that's different than other, other retailers. You know, that actually brings me, that's a great segue to the next question is, what can other retailers learn about how to diversify their assortment? Yeah, you know, it's, here's what I would say. It, it's, um, it's not going to happen organically. You know, I think just sitting back and saying, yeah, we would love to have more BIPOC-owned brands in our assortment and stopping there. You have to proactively and go out, go out and seek these smaller brands. A lot of times they don't have the capital, they don't have the resources, they don't have the mentorship, they just don't have the access to the things that a lot of other brands have. So what we've done is we've created an accelerator program where we've so far already worked with 2,000 um, uh, BIPOC-owned or more marginalized communities who've needed help and we provide consulting services, we give them access to Target's marketing, we give them access to our merchandisers and their advice, and we nurture and we help the brands, and we hope, we hope that someday they will be on our shelves, and if not on our shelves, on another retailer's shelves. But we hope that they'll be successful. Um, but it's a hands-on approach, and it takes um, time, patience, and nurturing, and a commitment. And I will say that is, it is authentic as well because you're out there and you're helping them from the retail end to end from start to finish, which, you know, that's huge coming from that merchant space. So yeah, and I think, I think you have to for, to drive systemic change. Yes. Because if, if you're not helping these brands fully understand how to drive differentiation with a brand, how to deliver the product quality that is expected, how to have packaging that's going to stand out on shelf, how to think about their pricing and their financials, uh, they won't be successful. And so for us, it's, we're playing the long game here. This isn't about getting a bunch of brands on our shelves and hope they sell. This is about um, co-creating with them yeah. and uh, helping them succeed and, and doing that driving systemic change. Yeah, and it's an investment. It's an investment right. in the future. Yeah. So you've been in your role a year now. So what do you wish you knew when you started as, you know, against this, today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there are a lot of things I have learned in this, in this role um, from a lot of people, a lot of people actually in the audience who've taught me a lot about this business. Um, but the thing I didn't realize when I came into this business was how deeply human the food and beverage business is. A lot of times at Target, we would talk about needs and wants. You want what your wants are is your apparel, your home, um, and what your needs are, food and beverage. You need food and beverage. It's a commodity. And what I've learned is it's not a commodity. It's not transactional. People care deeply about their food and beverage. They care the products that they're feeding their family. When they're entertaining, they care about what they're serving to their friends and family. It's, um, I mean, think about it. I bet everyone here has your favorite beverage. You have a favorite snack, a favorite meal. Um, for a lot of us, our culture comes through in food and beverage. For me, as someone who is Latino, we grew up with rice and beans in the weekdays and tamales uh, on the holidays, and it was a big part of our culture. Um, food and beverage is not a commodity. It's not transactional. It is. A, we're in a human, very deeply human business. 
Um, and for me, that takes it to a whole nother level. And I didn't think that coming into this role, but I've learned that, I think, over the last year. Yeah. And I think also food brings communities and families together, yeah. especially, you know, obviously through the pandemic, we were home. So, you know, what's next for groceries at Target? Yeah, I think um, certainly what we've seen through the pandemic is food at home has been really strong, right? People are not going out to restaurants. We saw a lot more baking, a lot more, um, you know, cooking at home, figuring sourdough out bread. sourdough bread, learning how to cook at home, um, not doing it very well. Um, but that's we're seeing that continue, and I think that there's there is something about consumers who really like the idea of the family sitting around the table again, and that is continuing. We're continuing to see elevated levels at food at home. Um, but when I think about Target's food and beverage business and what is ahead for us, I get really excited. I get really excited because we've been performing really well, but we have so much more runway. Um, you know, I'll give you just some things I'm excited about. Uh, we have industry-leading same-day services. You can do drive-up, and when you arrive at Target, we will have it in your trunk within two minutes. With Indus a Starbucks? What? With a Starbucks? And we're working on a star hot Starbucks. <laughs> we're testing that this fall, and we're going to be rolling that out next year. Um, so think about that. You can just come into Target and within two minutes have your groceries put in your trunk. Contactless, easy, safe. When you think about the people that are our biggest advocates, they shop Target. They're, we call them our supers. You know, they're, 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 they're shopping Target almost every week, if not twice a week. Of those people, only a third have tried the drive up. That's a huge growth opportunity. Yeah. That's a huge awareness opportunity. That's a huge trial opportunity. We have Good & Gather. We launched that business, and it's a $3 billion business. It's thousands of SKUs. Its awareness level is 35%. Can you imagine if the awareness level was 70%? It could be a $6 billion business. Um, you know, that, those things get me really, really excited. Um, we have uh, you know, lots of opportunities um, as we think about seasons, you know, where Target shows up really well are seasons. And what I mean by seasons is Mother's Day. It's Halloween. It's Easter. And the reason that we show up really well is because we have this multi-category business that enables it to be a one-stop shop. So for Easter, you can go in and you can get your eggs, you can get your Easter candy, but you can also get your basket, you can get your daughter's Easter dress, you can get your home decor, you can get everything you need to celebrate that Easter holiday. Um, we can do more of that. Um, we need to start thinking about micro-holidays. You know, March Madness, people are entertaining, they're, and they're having food and drink. Um, we just had Kentucky Derby. People are having Kentucky Derby parties, and they're having food and drink. Um, and so there's tons more that we can do to lean into seasons. So when I think about the food and beverage business, you know, this past year, we surpassed the $20 billion milestone. Um, and, you know, I think we have so much more we can do. How will you innovate and drive further loyalty with your guests? Yeah, I think, um, I think a, couple, a couple ways. Um, and the first I, I'm really excited about is, and I, I touched on it a little bit, but the idea of personalization. Um, I think more and more guests are expecting us to understand them and to be able to meet them where they're at and be able to serve up content promotions, services that are unique to them and what they're looking for. It's hard for us because we serve almost all of America. I mean, it's a lot of data. 
Uh, but we've got to get better about that. Yeah. And I, I think that's how we're going to build, build loyalty. Um, I also think that we're going to build loyalty by continuing to do what Target does so well, which is how we started this, which is with the Target. Um, continuing to offer the Target. And what I mean by that is great style, on-trend, affordable, delicious products uh, that we've curated for our guests. Well, I am going to open up questions to the floor. Do we have any anyone that wants to ask a question? I believe I have a mic if we wanted to pass it around, but um, yeah, any questions? Yes. Yeah. Um, do you feel like Roundell is doing a good job supporting commercialization? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Roundell is an in-house media agency uh, that we've been in that business for many, many years, uh, but more recently have been much more aggressive about growing that business. Uh, the business is over a billion dollars. And what Roundell does is we're able to leverage our first party data, partner with our vendors, and then be able to serve up messaging, promotions, advertising to meet our, um, the specific guest segment that they're going after. So if we're working with a vendor who is launching a new sparkling beverage and they would love to reach target guests who have, enjoy drinking sparkling beverages. We're able to do that, and we're able to serve up the ad to that person. Um, we, we, we think that that's kind of the ultimate of personalization. Um, but the other thing that I think um, stands out versus our competitors in the media space, the Facebooks and the Googles, is we do it in a very brand safe way. And I think increasing what, what we're hearing from our national vendors is they're looking for ways to advertise um, in a brand safe way where they can get an ROI on did that message have an impact. What we're able to uniquely do that a Facebook can't do, we commit to a brand safe environment. We're very strict about that. Um, we're able to then create an audience using our first party data. And then we're able to measure the impact on what kind of lift did that sparkling beverage get based on that ad. And so that, we feel like, is a very differentiated proposition in the advertising media space. Yes? You mentioned uh, several innovations that you've done with the private label, with uh, what you did during the pandemic, and uh, things like that. How, is there a process by which you, you know, come up with ideas that you're going to innovate and bring to the business? Is it ad hoc? Are there, is there some super smart person? Is that you? <laughs> well, it's not me. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, it, it goes back to being guest-centric. Um, what we do, we invest a lot to understand um, what is the guest, what are their needs, what are their pain points, uh, what are they looking for, what's important to them. We do a lot of trend work. We look at food trends, not just in the US, but we look at food trends globally. Um, what we have learned about our guests is they like to try new things. Um, and they, they, have, they like to try new things, and they will lean into health and wellness trends. So I'll give you an example. If you look at our dairy business, our dairy business is 50% milk, and the other 50% is specialty. That's what the industry calls it. It's oat milk, it's almond milk, it's soy milk. That specialty for us is mainstream to our guests. That's what they want at Target. So we have an opportunity to lean into some of those emerging health and wellness trends, um, and that's kind of how we think about it. You know, we we um, 
guest is at the center, but we're looking at trends. And, and I will tell you, our guest looks to target to help them. What is the next new thing? What should I try? And so that's, that's how we think about it. There was another question. Yes. But most people, when you say one of the grocery stores in your neighborhood, forget to mention Target in their list of the five places they can go. What are you doing to address that? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, and I think I would back up a little bit to explain the role that we play as a grocer. Um, the role that we play, it typically is a small trip. It's less than 15 items. Um, and it's not, don't get it confused with a quick trip. It's not an in and out, I need tortillas for Taco Tuesday night, I'm gonna run in and run out. It can be, but it can also be, I've got an extra 45 minutes, and I kinda wanna wander around and just see what, what's going on at Target. Um, but it's a small trip. It's not the big weekly stock up. It's not where I go and I get everything, um, and that's where they'll go to the local grocer. So as a result, when you ask people what, what's your grocer, I would hypothesize they're talking about their big stock up grocer. That's just not the role that we play. Uh, the good news is small trips is a big occasion, uh, and we still have a very small share in it, so there's a lot, of room, a lot of room for growth there. I have a question before we, we get to yours. So as a former merchant, I always found that in some cases it was very hard for uh, smaller vendors, smaller brands to actually have access to me. How do, you, how do you enable these smaller BIPOC brands to actually speak to buyers and get access to, to your merchant teams? Yeah, I, I think for us it's been a mindset shift. Um, instead of expecting the smaller brands to come to us, our merchants are constantly out there talking, learning, seeing, meeting new uh, potential vendors. Uh, our accelerator program, which I talked about, we've been doing that for several, several years now, and it's a great way for us to meet some emerging smaller brands, whether they're BIPOC or not. Um, we like to think about it a little bit. It's not that just having vendors pitch us, Sometimes we got to pitch Target to these yeah. smaller vendors um, and then partner with them like we talked about before. It is, it's, it's a mindset shift of we've got to go out, be really proactive, and discover that, those smaller brands. I love that. And I think it, it just makes you so much more accessible than you've ever been, or you know, from my perspective. Yes, you got a question. Since you're a former beer guy, how does adult <laughs> beverage fit into your strategy? Yeah, you're talking my language. Um, <laughs> So I, uh, um, I, how would I articulate it? Adult Bev is an opportunity for us, um, both from a beer, wine, and liquor standpoint. Um, and the conversations that we're having is how do we show up in Adult Bev in a way that's uniquely target? Right now, I think we, we sell a lot of brands. Um, we have some own brands. We have national brands. Um, I think what we need to do is figure out how do we do it in a uniquely target way. Um, but it is an important business. Our guests love adult Bev. They love entertaining. And when you're entertaining, beer, wine, liquor play a critical role. Um, they also come to Target for the holidays. Beer, wine, liquor play a big role during those key holiday moments. Um, so it's an important business for us. Thank you. That was actually a great question, and that could 
tie into what are you doing for guests uh, around guest experiences in store? So bringing the guests in store for you know a great tasting, a wine tasting. Like who would have think that to have a wine tasting at Target? Yeah, I, w- I would come. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, well we will have them. Um, you know, that's that's exciting, and that's what we want to do. Is we we want to create a unique experience when you come into Target, where you're inspired. Um, you're uh, in the discovery mode. Um, I'm really thrilled we'll be able to start sampling again. We haven't been able to do that because of COVID, uh, but we will start doing that again. And actually, we will be, this summer, we will be sampling adult bath, which will be really fun. Okay, I'm coming. Yeah? Um, yes, question. You talked a lot about seasons in the video, like, Yeah, it's a great question. Um, We have a unique opportunity to do cross-merchandising and talk about the occasion more holistically than a lot of our competitors. So, you know, know, right now we're going into summer. We can talk about, um, you know, summer barbecuing and all all the food stuff that go along with that, the hamburgers and the hot dogs and the ketchup and the mustard. But we also sell the grills. We also sell the uh, decor the 4th of July decor. We also sell the pool floaties. We also sell, and so if you go into the store, I think it's set now, you'll start to see the summer occasion. And when you walk into the store, you'll see that cross merch happening more and more. Um, I wouldn't say we are all the way to bright. I think that's an opportunity for us, Um, but we're getting better at that. We think that that's the secret sauce for Target is when we can tell the full story across food and bev, apparel, home decor, um, it's more compelling and it drives basket. We talked about trends during the pandemic, the sourdough bread, the meal kits. What do you think is the next big thing in food and bev? The next big thing. Um, I think what's changed in the pandemic is going to be um, how people think of food and bev in digital. And uh, people were shopping digital during the pandemic because they were looking for something safe, something contactless. Our um, I might get the numbers a little bit wrong, so forgive me, but our digital penetration was about 3% prior to the pandemic. You know, it's pushing in the high teens, high teens, close to 20, post-pandemic. That was for safety reasons. I think what people are realizing is it's really convenient and it's really easy, and I think that behavior is gonna stick. I think we're gonna see a lot more food and beverage um, being uh, shopped digitally. Um, and you know, we feel like we're well positioned for that as an omni-channel retailer. Omni-channel, great segue to my next random question that's not on our list. Okay. But um, we talk about seamlessness across um, engagements uh, across channel, omni-channel, connected commerce. How are you making sure that the guest experience is delightful and wonderful and joyous across each touch point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about that and what does it mean to be omni-channel. And I think the reality is, um, you know, people don't shop digital or brick and mortar. People just shop. And the journey starts sometimes on digital and it starts looking at recipes on Pinterest and then it can go to brick and mortar or vice versa. And so I think what we are trying to do a better job of thinking about the journey, making sure that it's connected and that we're bringing the point of purchase as close to the point of inspiration as possible. Um, That's, I think, the future. When you see that recipe and you want that, to be able to click and get those ingredients, we've got to bring that together as as 
seamlessly, to use your word, as possible. I love that. Any last words for our audience? No, I, I, I think the thing I would, would say, um, uh, the thought I would leave you with anyway, is um, I, I think at Target, we are just starting with Food and Bev. I think we have a lot of momentum. Um, and the feedback that we are getting from our guests is they are loving the idea of buying groceries at Food and Bev, and they want to see us win. We put Target on the map when it comes to grocery for the first time. We were named Supermarket News Retailer of the Year last year. Target as the Supermarket Retailer of the Year it was a really big deal for us. Um, we're really proud of that. And we see a lot of runway for this business, and we're going to continue at it. We're going to continue going at it. And I think the pandemic was a catalyst. It helped us build trust. And now that we have trust with a guest, we can do so much more. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you to our audience for attending. And um, thanks for flying in today. Yeah. I know you're flying out, yeah. but I'm going to meet you at that wine tasting. Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>